such a privilege to be able to bring the word to you all today. Been really excited to share this message and to share this word with you. Thank you for being patient with me. If you're wondering why I'm acting a little funny, it's because I'm listening to my heart. I want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you why I'm excited to share with you today. Not just as a person, as an individual, but as a pastor. I feel, I get excited by it. It brings life to me. So that's the personal bit. But as a pastor, I feel deeply compelled to not just encourage people to walk in purpose, but to equip people to walk in purpose. Waking and working and sleeping and eating is not living. It's necessary for living, but it's not living. True life, the way that God designed it, is when you and I find and discover the reason why you are on this planet and then you become the person that God designed you to become and as you become that person you find yourself doing the things that he made you to do it is very clear to me that one of the reasons the world struggles the way that it does is because there's about 7 billion people alive on this planet I would say a fraction of those are living in their God designed purpose I was very fortunate in that when I was a, from the time of being a young, young man, I heard preachers and ministers teach about not just the purposes of God for the world, but his individual custom-tailored purpose for your life. And in my immaturity, I... Uh, I thought, you know what? I want to live in God's purpose because if I live in God's purpose, that means I'm going to have a big old house and like three sports cars. I'm going to be eating at fancy steakhouses every night. Typical things that you, a teenager, would associate with purpose. And you know, uh, I remember 
uh, being in a youth camp, I was six, 16 or 17, 16. And the Lord really moved on my heart that night about living out God's purpose for my life. And I was in the altars, and I, you know, and the Lord was with me, and I was crying and saying, God, use me. God, use me. I was like, I was praying. It was so genuine. I was saying, God, wherever you want me to do, I'll do it. Oh, Lord. If I had any idea what I was praying. Because here's the thing. We have an idea of what purpose is, but we don't think very much about what purpose requires. The scripture says, don't cast your pearls before swine. And that's a great principle of the universe. And it simply means this. God reserves the best things in life for those who are willing to pay the highest price. So that should tell you how valuable you are because look at the price he was willing to pay to have you. We'll save that one for another day. But then that's also true of you. If you want the best things of God, you have to choose them. And you will find yourself, when you go to make that choice, I'll have to let go of one thing if I want God's thing. And the, the area where we struggle is the process of life. And we're trying to hold on to two things at one time. Because I want God's things, but I want it my way and so we've been in this series wanted dead or alive and that's a that's a catchy title I think but what we're really talking about is a life of purpose if you want to live in God's purpose for your life you have to be willing to say yes to God's process for your life. And so one of the things that we learned from studying King Saul, Saul didn't pick himself to be king. God picked him to be king. But Saul didn't have any process. One day you're just a guy. The next day you got a crown on your head. So in literally a month, he went from the lowest guy in the lowest tribe now he's ruling over everybody but there's no process so his life unravels and he loses everything by falling on his own sword and not only did he die in battle all of his sons died in battle around him epic tragedy it's one thing for you to mess up it's another thing for you to mess up and take all your kids with you This is real life. We're all living here. I don't know if you think we're in a movie or something like that. This is real life. What you do affects generations. But then we got this guy named David. And he's a mess. But when he, when he hits home runs, he hits grand slams. And he may strike out three out of four times. But when he hits a home run, it's epic. And so we see that from the time he's a young man, he's got the heart of a king. But God takes not just years, decades to process David to get him ready for his purpose of being king. 
Now hear what I'm about to say. Purpose without process becomes a plague. That is very good. Thank you. That is very good. Shakespeare said, heavy lies the crown. So when we see the crown sitting on somebody else's head, what do we see? We see the authority and the power and the prestige and the privilege. We see the shiny jewels and the gold and the crown and we go, I want that. But then when they lay that thing on your head, you can't see the shiny and the jewels anymore. Now what do you feel? The pain and the weight of responsibility and obligation. So what I'm lovingly saying to all of us today, that God's purpose, it is like a crown on our head. It's magnificent when you see someone living and thriving in God's purposes for their life. But if you don't allow God to process you and get you ready, that crown will destroy your life. Now hear what I'm about to say. God will never give you a life where He is not necessary. He's always preparing you for what He has prepared for you. He loves you enough that He'll give you, hear what I'm saying? You don't earn it, He'll give you a crown. But He wants to give you a crown that you can wear, not a crown that wears you. I'm taking time and being deliberate today because I truly believe in my heart that there are people who are listening to me today that God has called you to a life of purpose. He has a crown that's waiting for you. He has things that only you can do and if you don't do it, the rest of the world will suffer. Not just your family and your friends, your workplace your community, your neighborhood, your city, perhaps even your state or your nation will suffer. The body of Christ will suffer if you don't become the person that he's asked you to be. And my mission here today is not just to convince you. My purpose is to equip you so that when the process begins, you don't get lost in the fog of war. Because process is messy. Process is messy. You say, that doesn't make sense if God's doing processing, but God, is God messy? <laughs> no. Flesh is messy. This, that's temporary. It's fickle, and it can't be trusted. So how many of you have ever heard the quote by a man named Frederick Nietzsche? It says, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You ever heard that? Remember Conan the Barbarian started with that quote? What does Conan's father teach him? Son, you can trust in steel. And he learns in his journey that's not true. 
And his enemy, I can't remember the guy's name, James Earl Jones, he says, son, steel's not powerful, flesh is powerful. And he says, what is steel compared to the arm that wields it? That's a pretty image when you got Arnold Schwarzenegger biceps. And so this, the message of Conan the Barbarian, in case you didn't know, is that if I am strong and I will endure, I can overcome my enemies. Let me tell you something. It's a fun movie, but it is an epic and tragic lie. A fictional story written on Nietzschean philosophy. And most of you are sitting here listening to me going, yeah, I see that that's not true. Then why are you living that way? Why do you go through life trusting in this? That's temporary. I am, how old am I? I'll be 37 in November. And I got a really bad knee here and a a decent one over here a bad shoulder back problems my wife had to help me out of the bed one day this week I'm in my 30s and this right here is decaying don't build your life on this my grandfather his name is Wallace very, he's a, he was a strong man. He's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen, but uh, he struggled to read. So I think he was a little dyslexic in that way. But to watch him do math in his head was astounding. So he started with nothing, with an abusive, alcoholic father. And he's still alive today. When he sold his business in the mid-2000s, he sold it for millions of dollars. Millions. And he started with nothing. He was so strong here. But he's in a nursing home today with dementia. What am I trying to say? This is temporary. Can't trust in this. And here's the power of processing. Processing is God's gift to you to demonstrate to you, to teach you that you don't have to trust in this. before I preach if you'll endure with me I'm going to pray at the end our first piece of this series talking about David I shared with you the principle of pain and that when you say yes to God's process one of the first things you're going to feel is pain Because when you say yes to God's process, here's what you're saying yes to. He's going to start taking away from you the things that you think you need. For instance, David has to say goodbye to his best and closest friend. 
And so I would teach this to many people. God wants you to have friends. He wants you to live in community. And that's true. But here's what else is true. God will also let you go through times in your life where it feels like no one around you understands. People, you can say, man, he's been my homeboy since we were kids, and God will take that from you. Holly and I have even experienced this in our marriage where, to certain degrees, we had turned each other into our gods. I'd put demands on her that she couldn't meet, and she'd put demands on me that I couldn't meet, and... I'm not talking about a divorce here. You understand the heart of what I'm saying here. But God had to come down and go, no, I'm your God, Jordan, not Holly. No, Holly, Jordan is not your God. God is God. So there's some things you need to come to me to get and not them. <laughs> you talking about a happy marriage. <laughs> when you quit trying to get from somebody what they can never give you. What was that? That's God stripping things away, saying you don't need that. So today I want to talk to you about the principle of promotion in degrees. Promotion in degrees. And I'm going to move quickly. I want to read to you some scripture. So David's on the run from Saul. Saul's running hard after David. But David being a shepherd boy... Growing up in the woods, David is learning to live as a guerrilla warfare expert, constantly on the move. And so David and his men are hiding in some caves. And they come and get David and they say, David, you're not going to believe this. You know, we've been hiding from Saul. Well, he and his men have come into the same cave that we are in. And we're listening and we can hear that Saul is just right up here around the corner. And all you got to do, David, for all of your problems to be over is just go in there and do what needs to be done. So the, the scripture says this, that Saul is... He is separated from his bodyguard because he's deeper in the cave taking care of his personal human business. Okay, let me try over here. Saul's using the bathroom. What a terrible way to take out your enemy. And so guess what David does? What an epic feat of war. He sneaks up on Saul while Saul's going to the bathroom. And he reaches down with his knife and he cuts off of the corner of Saul's robe. And then he sneaks away. So David doesn't kill Saul, but he kills that or he cuts off a piece of that robe. Why? I had you. I had you. And I let you go. So David cuts the robe, and here's where we're going to pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. 
David also arose afterwards and he went out of the cave. So now Saul's come out, he's done with his business and he's now out with his men outside of the cave and then David comes around and he calls out to Saul, my Lord the King. Saul turns around and looks behind him and David stooped with his face to the earth and he bowed down. I don't have time but notice tremendous humility and respect. I'm innocent, you're trying to kill me but I'm still showing you honor for the office that you set in. Apply that to politics today. Let me know how that feels. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, David seeks to do you harm? Look this day, your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in that cave. He didn't rat on his buddies either, but he said, Someone... <laughs> urged me to kill you but my eye spared you and I said I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord for he is the Lord's anointed my goodness moreover my father see right here in my hand I added that yes see the corner of your robe in my hand for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand and I have not sinned against you yet you hunt my life to try and take it let the Lord judge between us and let the Lord avenge me on you but my hand shall not be against you as the proverb of the ancient says, and now he's quoting scripture, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. Judge a tree by its fruit. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you chasing? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord judge and judge between you and me. And see and plead my case and deliver me. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you didn't kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants from me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. And so David swore to Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. 
I've got three very brief points that I want to share with you. What a tremendous story and what a tremendous exchange between these two men who are heroes. And can I just give you, I just can't resist it. I can't restrain myself. It's one thing for your friends to bless you. It's one thing for your parents to bless you. You can even bless yourself. God will bless you. But God will make your enemies bless you. It's one thing for God to look at you and say, you're going to be king. God is God. When he makes the man who is king look at you and say, I see, I know that you are going to be king. So when we are in process, thank you, Catherine. When we are in process, we tend to, we want it right now. And usually what happens in your heart, when you feel the leading, when you catch a glimpse of purpose, you'll feel things on the inside of you that you've never felt before. You'll feel a drive and a hunger. You may even have trouble sleeping at night at first because you're so alive with the idea that God has a purpose for my life. And so the feeling, the sensation is, I want it right now. I'm ready. I can see it. I know that I was made to do that. I know that I was built to do that. Can I tell you a true story? Uh, our founding pastor here, Bishop Tony Miller, uh, he started a yearly conference called Affecting Destiny. Many of you know what that is. We've hosted that here for years. And in 2005, I was actually listening to this this week, Dr. Pike, and you spoke there at Effect and Destiny in 2005 in Atlanta, Georgia. And um, my heart was so moved. In 2005, I was 18 and dangerous. And I didn't know nothing about nothing. But I was so moved being around these mighty men of God that they knew God. They walked with God. They'd studied God's word. They're great communicators. And that those three days of conference really came to a crescendo for me um, when a man named Ron Carpenter preached uh, one of the final sessions of that conference. And uh, Apostle Ron to this day is a tremendous communicator and I remember I was sitting on about the second or third row one day right behind Stephen Ward and he was preaching and I remember shaking and I wasn't exactly living for God and I remember leaving going to our hotel room that night and I was 18 and I was so moved and my heart was so full being around men like that all week that I threw myself onto my bed in my hotel room at 18. I was there with my dad, who's a pastor. And I wept and I wept and I wept. And this is all I could say is, God, I want to do that. I want to do that. 
God, I want to do that. I mean, I felt it. I felt it. It was so strong. Oh, my Lord. I wanted it right then. But that's not how God works. And I made this mistake as a young man. I thought that time was my enemy. I got to have it right now. So I had to work hard. I had to read more. I had to practice more. I had to be smarter than the other guy. I had to, 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 I had to do it. Because I got to get there faster. Time is not your enemy. We live in a world where our society believes that. And so what do they teach us? Hacks, hustles, tips, tricks. They teach us how to grind. Can I speak to some real folk in the room? They teach you to be on the lookout for a hookup. Not that kind. I'm talking about the old school kind of hookup that's just like somebody going to help me out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Do you want me to summarize what all those things are? It's called, you're not going to like it. I can feel it already. It's called performance. Performance. The better you do, the better life will go. And if you do it this way, you can get there faster than the other guy. Lies. Lies. Because performance will never prepare you for the purpose that God has for you. People who are always in a hurry, I would bet this in most cases, that is an indicator that that individual doesn't actually trust God with their future. They feel the burden to create their own future. So I got to do it now. I got to go after it right now. I have to make it happen. But God, uh, time is not so that when you get the thing that he has promised, it won't destroy you. If your goal is to obtain promotion and prosperity, then you will almost certainly lose it. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 says, Labor not to be rich, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Now, I'm very blessed in that I have some close friends that are very, very successful businessmen. And here's something I find fascinating about people who seem to be successful in business is that they'll make a bunch of money and they'll lose it. And they tell me these stories about how much money they've lost, and it makes me want to cry. It's not even my money. <laughs> and so it's amazing to me these growth cycles that I've seen people in business go through where they'll do well, and then they'll say, oh, got to do it this way now, and they'll lose everything, or they'll come down to almost nothing, but then you watch, and then boom, another, another level of growth. What is happening in those processes of their life? They're gifted and anointed to make money. You know what I'm talking about. You know people that, what do we say? They can rub two sticks together and make a dollar, yeah. right? Or money grows on trees for them. What, they're called gifted and anointed to make money, but guess what happens? As they're growing and processing through life, they learn how to handle a million bucks. 
And then they'll get to a million and go, I don't know nothing. I got to now do it this way. And the next thing you know, they're making five million. What's happening? There's processing that's happening. And what I want to do is apply that logic not to your pocketbook, but to this, to your heart. If you put your money, if you put your hope in money, then what the scripture is telling us is that money has a way of growing wings. And that you can have it one day and be gone the next. One of my closest friends, uh, he is a true sold out believer and follower of Christ. Very successful in his business endeavors. And he was at a particular place in his life where he was doing really well. And a bad situation happened with a business partner and he lost everything literally overnight. And this is what he said. I had uh, a very small sum left in my personal account and I took that money and I went and paid payroll for some men who were working on a job. And after I paid them, I went, I have no idea how I'm going to cover cost, insurance, workman's comp. I don't know how I'm going to pay for anything. One minute, at the beginning of the week, there's millions in the accounts. And by Friday, I'm giving out my last, my last $5,000 to help take care of some men that I know they, they, owe, they, they owed a wage. They deserve to be paid. That's how money is. And it's gone. So we have to put our hope in other things. And so here what I'm driving at. Don't measure your promotion by money. Don't measure your promotion by title. Don't measure your promotion by success. Because the real success, the real promotion happens in here first. And then the things of life are added And so as human beings and our weak flesh nature, one of our biggest traps is self-promotion. You say, I really just said something right there. That's one of our biggest traps is self-promotion. Do you want me to tell you who loves self-promotion? Facebook. Ab, you want me to tell you who else loves it? Instagram. Yes. The bane of my existence, TikTok. TikTok, I had never TikToked, not one time. My daughter has TikToked enough for the both of us. Self-promotion. I'm not moving on on purpose because I want you to feel the uncomfortableness of the truth that I just spoke. Self-promotion. But here's the issue with self-promotion is that in the long run, it never goes in the right direction. You want to go up, but when you give in to a lifestyle of self-promotion, you always wind up going And so that day when Saul went in the cave to handle his business, guess what David had the opportunity to do? He had the most epic, poetic opportunity, perhaps in all of history, to promote himself. So he had the opportunity, he had the blessings 
of his friends and his closest confidants. They were saying, you need to go in there and do this. This is it. God has delivered him into your hand. Surely all you have to do is just go in there and... So you can go in there, David, and if you've got the stones to see it through, you can go in there, you can eliminate an enemy. You can take the crown for yourself with no battle. No epic meeting of armies. We don't have to live like outlaws anymore. We don't have to live like animals anymore, going from cave to cave, stronghold to stronghold. You can go in there and end this. David, you fought other battles one-on-one. What's the big deal to just go in there and do it one more time? David could have had a crown, but all that was required for him to get it himself was murder. Murder who? A man who God had anointed to be king. It's easy for us to look back now, but one of the first things I want to say to David is, you need some new friends. Because your friends were giving you bad advice to go in there and commit murder. about to say something I need you to hear me when we choose the path of a means to an end we are never considering that you reap what you sow that was really good I like that that's ministering to me if it's not anybody else and so what do we say to ourselves I'll do a little wrong to have a bigger or greater right. That is man's wisdom where you are taking your future and your fate into your own hands. You are being judge and you are playing God. When someone who really has their hope, their faith and their trust in God says, I don't need to murder to get what God wants me to have. God will give it to me if I'm willing to wait. In a high-speed, credit card, swipe it now, drive it now world, that's hard to hear. But it's the truth of the universe. I'm going to say that one more time. The truth of the universe is that when you take your future and your fate in your own hands, you will lose it. But if you are willing to wait on God, he will give it to you. And when God gives you something, no one can take it from you. American Express, if they believe in you, 
This is the baddest one I know about. There are probably a level above that that I don't even know about. But American Express will give you this little card that's black. And it's not plastic. It's metal. And depending on just how bad you are, you can buy anything with that card. We want a new yacht? Swipe it. And you can be on the water that afternoon. And so you can be out there with all your friends. We're on a boat. But guess what? You don't pay American Express their money back by the end of the month. They're going to take your boat. And all your friends that was partying on the boat with you, guess what? They gone too. But if God gives you the boat, won't nobody, can't no, it should be hillbilly for a moment, can't nobody take it from you. And there's nothing wrong with it. I love boats too. We clap over a boat, but now let me say this about that. Forget about a boat, but start thinking about this. Wisdom. Mm. The scripture says, seek after wisdom. Run after it. Because when you get the wisdom of God in your life, it's more precious than jewels. The wisdom of God. The anointing of God. The supernatural ability to do God's work with His power. The same God who spoke creation with just a, a word... Because of the power that he has. Guess what? That same power come live on your life. And when it comes and lives on your life, you can look at something and go, be gone, and it'll go. It's amazing how much you can be like God as long as you remember that you are not God. Wisdom. Anointing. Hear what I'm about to say. Peace. You may tell you the most rare commodity in the world today is peace. Do you know what the byproduct of peace is? Joy. Joy. The ability to be supernaturally happy. (laughs) There's Prozac happiness. (laughs) And God bless you. I'm okay with that. But then there's life of the spirit joy now what happens when God gives you those things no 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 not man not your boss not even your spouse not your preacher not your worship leader not the president for darn sure but when God says here my son here my daughter this is for you this is your inheritance Oh, and when you get that on your life, and that's living on the inside of you, it doesn't matter what happens on the news. I may help some of y'all. It don't matter that they fired Tucker. You can still be happy. Let's speak to some red state Oklahomans for just a moment. You're going to be okay. Guess what? Tucker Carlson is not a prophet. He is a news anchor. That offended some people right there. That means I'm just going to keep going just a little bit. I'm going to get up on my stump. Just a moment. Guess what? 
Don't you rely on TV organizations that they profit from your viewership to dictate to you whether or not the world is going in the right direction. Listen to the leading and the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because that is where peace that passes all understanding is found. Do you know what the world doesn't need right now? It doesn't need Christians who are temperamental. And that one minute we have victory and the next day we have defeat. The world is crying out for believers that have a steady, faithful hand. And our hands are on the plow of destiny. And we're saying, some days I don't feel like it, but God, you're so good. Listen, Pastor Ashley nailed it on the head today when he said, some days you don't feel like it. Some days you don't feel it in here, but you have to let your spirit be unleashed and say, God, I don't feel like it today. I am really mad that they fired Tucker, but guess what? God is with me. If God be for me, who can be against me? Echo the words of Joshua and say, or Caleb, I believe that we be well able. He who started a good work in me, he is faithful to complete it. He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should repent. If he said it, he will do it. We don't murder people today like we did back then. Well, most of us don't. And let me say this about that. You may be listening to me and you may be saying, I've done that. Don't hang your head. The man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament murdered through conspiracy quite a bit. God forgives murder. I don't know if y'all know that. Most of us, though, have not lived that life. Thankful for that. But Jesus said that under the law of grace, if you commit rage or you speak anger out of your heart that says, I hate you, guess what he says? You're guilty of murder, the same as the guy with a pistol in his hand. Apply that to politics and call me back. What am I trying to say here? We don't murder people with dagger and pistol like they did in the old days. But we still murder every day. Do you want to know how we murder? The scripture says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. Let me give you an example that will hit home for most of us. When you got married, most of us, I would bet, we came into the church. And she's beautiful. A few of the men are grinning. Yes, you're going, yeah, she's beautiful. Six months later. Not six years. Six months. You're going, who is this woman, God, that you give me? She's on my case. Nothing's ever good enough. And she gets up. You know what I'm talking about. 
and you go in the next room, and you're like, God, what was I thinking marrying her? Crazy woman. <laughs> what did you just do? Murder. Because when she was in her white dress, and you was real excited about what was going to be going down five hours from now, what was you saying? Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. For richer or poorer, in sickness and in death. Do you? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. And six months later, murder. That's human nature. That's flesh. God anointed her to be your wife. That's what a covenant is. So it's easy for us to look at David and say, well, don't kill God's anointed. He's got the crown. Well, I wonder, do you kill people that already have crowns in your life? Like your spouse? God's anointed them to be your spouse. Do you speak life over them or do you speak death? A lot of people, this is a big thing. It kind of chaps my hide a little bit because I don't see it anywhere in the Bible, but at least not the way we think of it. But everybody nowadays wants a mentor. Gotta have a mentor. Gotta have a life coach. Here's what most people really want is they want a pastor. And then I've learned being a pastor, what most people really want from a pastor, which is not biblical, they want a parent. They want a parent that they never had. They don't want anybody to tell you what to do. They just want somebody to tell you that they love you. Pastors are not parents, and mentors for sure are not parents. Now, what am I saying? You don't go get wisdom to make a decision? That's not at all what I'm saying. It's amazing to me that we'll say we want a mentor, a coach, and then they tell you to do something that you don't want to do, and you won't do it. Let me take a step further. I want to know God. I want to find purpose. And the first time that your pastor, whoever they may be, doesn't say something that you like or they tell you no, you go home. Some of you don't even make it home. Some of you are at the lunch buffet. And you're having more than fried chicken for lunch. You're having a side of pastor and how he ticked you off that day. We murder... God's anointed with our mouths. Now, I love you enough to keep it real. I understand for me that may sound self-serving. I love you enough to tell you the truth. And I'll pull David. I'll let God sort it out. Let God judge it. The scripture says that God picks who rules nations. Did you know that God didn't invent democracy? Man did. God don't take votes. When God picked Moses, he didn't say, well, man, we got to, I don't know if it's going to be Moses because they're having trouble counting the votes in Arizona. He was a baby. And God said, nope, he's the one. Saul was hiding in the luggage. God said, nope, he's the one. Go get him. He's hiding like a coward. He wasn't going to win no votes that day. Don't murder 
God's leaders in government with your mouth. Now that's difficult in the day in which we live. Sometimes I watch, I've always been involved in politics. It's interesting to me. When I was young, I used to think, and I still am, but when I was younger, I used to think and say things like, if I got in a room with, at that time, was Barack Obama was president, if I got in a room with President Obama, I'd let him know. Or I'm going to let George W. know what he needs to be doing. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for being so patient with me. Do you know what I say now? Thank you, God, that you've not called me to be president. Because you know what that would mean? When I, being your pastor is great. I don't want to be your president. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The temptation of our flesh is that I can promote myself through murder with this. Murder our boss, murder our spouse, murder our manager, murder our coworker, murder our business partners. Don't do it. Because when you self-promote, you think you're going up, but really you're going down. Here is the issue with crowns. Whatever you have to do to get them, you have to keep doing to keep them. There's a very, very famous TV show. Some of you may be able to pick out what it is I'm talking about, but I'm not going to say out loud what it is because I want you to judge me. One of the characters is a king, and he looks at his friend. They took the crown through a rebellion, and he and his friend, best friend, were the leaders of that rebellion. And he said, you helped me get the crown. Now I need your help to keep it. Fictional writing, true principle. If David would have had to murder to get the crown, he would have had to murder and murder and murder and murder to keep it. Don't try to promote yourself. You will die before your time, most likely. And if you do live to an old age, you'll be exhausted and empty because you have poured out the energy of your life into promoting yourself. It's difficult for you to promote yourself and to give God glory at the same time. Don't murder God's anointed. A very wise man taught us this, that the Holy Spirit is never in a hurry. I'm a man of the Spirit. I believe that. Are you patient? Will you wait? I say this with humility. There's a lot of y'all in here twice my age. You've been doing this, walking with God twice as long as I've even been alive. From a place of honor, there's some of you, you've been waiting to see God and know God in certain ways. 60, 70, 80. All I would say this as a young man, Don't give up now. 
keep waiting because your example testifies to young men that we still got a lot of living, a lot of dreaming, a lot of building left to do. It's the people that they've had all the money, they've had all the titles, they've written books, they've done many great things, but when you talk to them, they're saying, I'm still hungry to know God. Those are my heroes. So if you're in this room today and you're saying, that doesn't, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me, man, I'm in my 80s. I understand that. And I won't take that from you. I don't know what that's like. But I will say this. Keep waiting on God. Because it stirs my heart if it doesn't stir anybody else's. And so here's something I find interesting about when David cut the corner off of that robe. He cut a corner, but he didn't cut corners. Let's say that again. He cut a corner, but he didn't cut corners. And so I find it so amazing that David says later in the text, if you read the rest of that story, which I strongly encourage you to do, he says that he was pained in his heart that he even cut the corner off of Saul's robe. That's the heart of a king. He says, I feel bad that I even cut the corner off of his robe. So here's a question that I have for any would-be purpose kings and queens in the room. Do you pat yourself on the back when you don't commit murder? Or does your heart still convict you when you cut the corner off a robe? Most of us will go, I could have killed him and I didn't do it. I'm doing good. But a king will say, I shouldn't have even, I shouldn't have even touched the corner of his robe. The heart of a king will see God do miracles and still go to his prayer closet on Monday and say, God, I need you. The heart of a king will close a multi-million dollar business deal and go home to his wife and say, baby, I love you. I couldn't do what I'd do if it wasn't for you. The heart of a queen, steady, Steady, steady. Some of the most amazing women that I've ever known were not bosses. They know what it means to love a man. And they love that man. They support that man. They pray for that man. They keep that man's house and they raise that man's children. And one day when he makes it, they don't push him to the side and say, you would have never been there if it wasn't for me. I know a lot of queens that they've waited. And then their husband and their children stop everything and point their finger and say, how many times would we have failed and we would have quit if it wasn't for her? It's the heart of a king and a queen is they don't push, they don't make a way for themselves, they wait. My band will come, please. We're going to end in a hurry. David is convicted in his heart over cutting a corner of that robe. David understands that when you are in the middle of process, you can't help, hurry, rush, or accelerate God's plan. 
And that even when you cut the corner off of a robe, you have to remember that that man is still your king. There's some folk in here. God's, God wants you to be the manager. Don't you cut the corner off of that man's robe until God puts you in that seat. There's some people in this room that God has asked you to be the boss and to make the decisions. There's some of us that God has promotion waiting right around the corner. The test that you are in right now is, will I do this myself or will I let God do this for me? And so here's something that I've thought about in closing. Is that when David went out there that day to Saul, he wasn't trying to flex on Saul. Look, I had you, old man. What was he doing? See, we forget certain part of the text where he says, Who are you chasing, Saul? I'm like a dead dog. I'm a flea compared to you. What's David doing? David's repenting. What's he saying? I'm not against you. He says he bowed his head down to the earth. He says, Saul, I'm not against you. I'm for you. I, I'm like a dog. I'm like a flea. You don't have to be coming after me. Don't waste your time and your energy. Don't waste the years of your kingship chasing me because I'm not against you, Saul. I want things to be right between us. How do I know that that's what he meant? Because what did he call Saul? You're like a father to me, Saul. Saul, your son, Jonathan, is my brother. I'm not against you. I want it to be right between us. I wonder who in here God's waiting on you to bow your head down to the earth. And who is it that he needs you to make it right? It might be one of your children that that thing that happened years ago that you look back on, you look back on it now and go, I didn't handle that right. I wonder, will you bow your head down and say, son, I will always know more than you. <laughs> and I know this. I'm sorry. I was wrong for how I handled that. There's some spouses that you may need to bow your head down before your spouse and say, I messed up. I was wrong. You are the one that God put you in my life and I am better for it. I don't even want to cut the corner off of your robe. And I did that, and I am sorry. Because who would I be if I didn't have you in my life? There might be some children need to do that to your parents. I could spend about an hour right there. I wonder if there's some bosses or managers, employers in your life. You need to follow the wisdom of God, but you need to start in your prayer closet and say, God, I've, been, I've not kept my mouth off of them, and I'm sorry. 
This is the world that we live in. I'm not on a stump about this today. It's the world that we live in. But did you know something? Some of you might need to go to your prayer closet and go, God, I forgive Joe Biden. I forgive Donald Trump. I forgive the governor. I forgive the mayor. Those people that I shouldn't put my mouth on them. And I'm going to bow my head down and say, who am I? I'm not qualified to do that. What makes you qualified is not the degrees that hangs on your wall. God is just. And His justice says this, that what qualifies any person to be who they are and do what they do is this. It's the condition of this. Don't promote yourself. Don't murder. If you have, put your head on the ground and say, God, I repent. I'm sorry. God, I want it to be right. Because I don't want us leaving here today with more blood and more murder more anger, more hatred, more frustration. What did he say? I'm putting this in God's hands. Let God judge and let God decide who ought to be king. In the meantime, I know this. You are the king. When it's my turn, when it's my time, God will raise me up. I don't have to raise myself up. You don't even have to give it to me. God will give it to me. Some of us need to put our hope and our trust back in God's hands and say, the things that I'm supposed to have, God will give it to me. The scripture says that promotion comes from the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just stay seated. Anybody looking around? Please don't be distracted. If you're in here today and you say this, I don't want to promote myself anymore. I'm tired of that. Or I see that that doesn't work. Nobody's looking around, so I'm watching for you. Nobody's looking around. But if that's you and you say, I'm tired of promoting myself. I've lived that life where I feel like I have to fight and struggle and strive for every little thing. If that's you and you say, I'm tired of that, just wave your hand at me. Just hold your hand up in the air. Keep waving so I can see. You want to make sure I see each one. Keep waving. Keep waving. It's okay. Nobody's looking around. If they start looking, I'm going to call them out for you. I see you. I see you. I see you. Okay. Then there's a second person I want to pray for. If you say this, you say, I have murdered with my mouth. I've said things I shouldn't have said. And I got to make it right. For some people, you say, I just cut the corner off the rope. But I don't want to live that way. I got to make it right. 
So if you're in here today and you say, I want to proverbially, metaphorically, I want to put my head on the ground, and you may need to do that literally. That's between you and God. But if you're in here today and you say, there's some things I need God's help to make right, I want you to wave at me. Just say, there's some things I want to make right, some things I need to repent for. Here's what we're going to do. You can all look at me now. Everybody put your hands down. You can look at me. The band's going to play us out. I'm going to pray with you. Here's what you need to know. The altar is a holy place and space for repentance, for being washed clean. So I'm going to open that to you and make that available to you. But in the meantime, I want to pray with you. So nobody knows who it was that had their hands up. That's fine. If you're in here today and you say, I was one of those people, I just want you to pray with me. You can pray what I pray. Does that feel okay? Person number one, let's all pray this together. God, I'm sorry for trying to promote myself. God, I'm sorry. You can pray that with me. God, I'm sorry for trying to rush your process in my life. God, I can't make myself a king. Only you can make me into a king. So, God, I put my hope and my future in your hands. God, I put my purpose in your hands. God, if you have it for me, I'm going to trust you to give it to me. Person number two. These are some things we got to say it right out loud. God, I've shed blood. I've cut corners. If that's you, just say this. I'm going to say it for you and say it with you. I'm sorry. God, I see that I did it. I said the things that I shouldn't have said. My attitude was terrible. My tone was terrible. God, I said things. God, I don't even mean those things. I was so angry and so lost in the moment. But God, I said it. And God, I am sorry. God, forgive me. God, forgive me for the sins of my mouth. God, forgive me for the sins in my heart. Where I was eat up with anger and hatred and bitterness. God, forgive me. Now, this is very important that we pray this. Because did you know this? That you can wash the blood off, but the residue of blood is shame and guilt. So you just pray this with me. If that's you in here, and, and I am one of those people, just so you know that we're all, we've all done this. But you say this and pray this and say, God, wash me clean from the guilt of bloodshed. Wash me clean. Wash my soul clean. Wash my heart clean. Lord, I even hand the memories over to you. And I say, God, cleanse my memories. That when I think about those people and I think about what they did and what they said to me, God, I'm not going to be angry or bitter or hateful. God, wash me clean. Wash the shame and the guilt off of me. I'm going on with my life. I'm not going to live as a prisoner anymore to what happened one day in a cave. feel that right there to see you may think that's just a normal old everyday prayer but see I feel something right there there's some shame and guilt being broken off of people you've been you've been living in regret and you've been living as a prisoner to what happened 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago and God's saying no longer you're going on with your purpose and you're going on with your process maybe do this together what we're about to do is physical 
but it's an expression of a spiritual truth that we're putting our trust and our hope in God. Are you ready? Let's do this. It's going to be all right. God is with you, and he's faithful. And he holds our world, and he holds our lives in the palm of his hand. That feels good, don't it? Don't it feel good? I don't have to promote myself, and I don't have to be king, and I don't have to be God, and God's making me into the man or woman that I'm called to be. Such rest that comes from that today.